Welcome back, evildoers. It's that time again. I know. Already you're saying? <laughs> yes. Already. I'm excited. Are you excited? Because here we are. Together again. On Misery Point Radio. Still can't believe you're here. You guys are awesome. I'm your host. My name is Mike. And today, we're going to talk about the shit that dreams are made of. And of course, I have always been of the opinion that dreams do come true for those that work hard while they dream. And I believe that 100%. That'll never change. The only thing that changes is the random awesomeness that we have here in the studio. That's right. Random awesomeness. And today, we can drop the random. We go straight to the fucking awesomeness. So, I'm going to tell you a story. Let's just imagine that there is a band you like, a particular favorite of yours, somebody you grew up listening to, maybe somebody you were introduced to, for whatever set of circumstances, just a band you really like. Now let's just imagine one day you and somebody say, hey, let's go check out this concert. It's going to be awesome. Well, why wouldn't it be? You already think the band is awesome. So you get to the concert. The show starts. Uh-oh. What's going on? Something is not right here. What's up with the singer? Oh, fuck. He's sick. So you spend all this money, you take all this time, you go to this show, only to find out that due to unforeseen circumstances, the singer can't perform. Well, fuck. And then something crazy happens. Singer says, guys, I'm really sorry. Don't think I can do this anymore. Uh, I'm unable to continue. And then someone else has the brilliant idea. Well, fuck, instead of canceling the show, let's just get one of y'all to come up here on the stage and help me finish the set. Is that crazy? Now, even crazier than that, let's just say the person they pick is you. Yeah, just like a movie, just like a story out of a crazy book you get to go up on stage be the singer for a band that you grew up listening to and save the fucking day right you're a hero no cancelled show and something that you could only dream about is actually happening you're standing up there 
thousands of people screaming your name, cheering you on. Lights so bright you can barely see what's going on. Well, this wasn't just a story, my friends. This actually happened. Yeah. So, some of you might have read about this in the news. Uh, a good friend of mine went to see the band Loverboy. And sure enough, Mike Reno, not feeling his best, didn't want to cancel the show. Felt bad for the people that showed up, paid good money. Show must go on, right? And go on it did. So, my buddy gets to go up on the stage and for that moment of time, got to be the singer for Loverboy here at a local show in Everett. And he fucking killed it. I mean, he fucking killed it. So, so we're going to talk to him today. And if that wasn't awesome enough, he's also in a band called The Janitors of Chaos, whose music you're listening to right now during this intro. And The Janitors just released their debut album called Ether Ore. And, uh, I gotta tell you, the talent in this band, unrivaled. So, we're gonna talk with my good buddy here, and we're going to, we're gonna have an awesome time. Are you guys ready for this? All right, so welcome from Janitors of Chaos, Fever 103, Whiskey River, Seattle Drum School, and 50 million other projects. My old friend, Steve Fournier. Steve, welcome to The Edge. It's good to be here. Awesome, man. This, is, uh, this has been a long time in the making. We've been trying to kind of work this out. So uh, initially, we were, we were going to try to get the entire Janitor's crew on. Uh, timing was kind of a, a challenge, I think, with everybody's schedules, but uh, I think you can represent. Um, sure. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about the Janitors of Chaos, who have a new album. Uh, and we're also going to talk about some of Steve's other projects and crazy childhood memories and <laughs> whatever else comes to mind. So uh, well, let's just start this off. Uh, so I just downloaded the uh, the CD, your debut CD, uh, Ether Ore, I believe is kind of how it's pronounced. Yeah. 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 Um, that is a pile of awesomeness. Um, Thanks, man. So we're going to let people hear some of the songs later on, but how would you describe that particular project? Well, it's it's actually funny uh, how I met Chris and Ethan to begin with. Um, Michael Cotta that runs the uh, uh, American Music uh, up there, the drum shop. He was approached by Ethan to do uh, the drums for this uh, for the Chris Poland uh, clinic that that basically was in Woodenville at the time, and that was back in two thousand ten. And Michael Cotta's mom was in ill health. So Michael gets in touch with me, gives me Ethan's number. Next thing you know, I'm doing this clinic with Chris Poland. Uh, Chris Poland from uh, Megadeth. Me Megadeth. Right. Yeah. Um, Chris Poland has his own band called Ohm. And of course, he's from L the LA, LA scene. Um, so he flew up, did that. And it was just basically me and Chris, my bass player, Chris Wardtank, that kind of basically backed him up on that clinic. Ethan didn't really accompany him with the guitar, uh, but Ethan kind of had a big part of putting that on, along with Chris Griffin, that owns Spotlight Studios, which is now the Jam Academy, because uh, we ended up doing a recent Chris Pullen for the second time. We were able to 
Jam and play with him again. Uh, but at that time, that's how I kind of met those guys. And Ethan, you know, I talked to him a bunch on the phone. He says, well, have you heard the Chris Poland stuff? Uh, can you play it? And I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> can I'll, I play I'll, it? <laughs> you know, yeah. And, it, you know, a lot of a, a lot of a lot of that stuff, too. Chris, Chris had two different cats that he was using, you know, two different drummers, Kofi Baker, which is Ginger Baker's son on a few of the tracks. Crazy. Yeah. And um, and a guy named David Eagle, which was the original guy that they used for the full length record. I think one of the full length records he put out. So long story short, here I am doing this clinic and I start, you know, talking with Chris and Ethan. They're like, well, you know, we have a band called the Janitors of Chaos, but we don't have a drummer. We're, you know, we're trying to find a drummer. And I'm like, hmm, well, well, you guys got some tunes. Obviously they did. They already had some stuff pre-written, you know, which is now one of the tracks is uh, one of the first tracks they played for me when I went over to Chris's house where he was living off, off Greenwood at the time. Of course, I meet up with them a week later or whatever, something like that. And um, they play me uh, Fade. Um, and immediately I, I start thinking to myself, I'm like, hmm, this is pretty good stuff. And I started, you know, you know, the... The, uh, the wheel starts spinning. The wheel starts spinning, right? Yeah. Or, or and I'm like getting drum parts turning. already <laughs> going, oh, you know. And I really liked what they had. Um, you know, and they, of course, they had many more other tunes, you know, kind of written. Uh, I really don't know how many at that time. But so one thing led to another. And I just basically, we just started jamming. And it was kind of an instant connection, basically. Right. And that that's really weird that you know you fall into the gap of like that kind of a thing happening you know between like oh you know but it's not i guess it's not very uncommon you know it's like one thing leads to another you know but it was kind of weird how that all turned out like you know backing up a clinic with a a monster guitar player like chris poland and the next thing you know the bass player and the guitar player are sitting there yeah yeah we're looking for a drummer for yeah it's like piles of randomness that actually turns into something meaningful totally absolutely crazy and it was like the same thing like how and you kind of you and i met through the school you know it was like you know we we knew we, we kind of knew who each other were you know at the time a little bit but right it was like you know this whole thing of like <laughs> you play guitar I play guitar and that, and that was kind of weird because with you and I, we used to jam guitar more than we probably did with just jamming. Yeah. So we'll get a little history here. So Steve and I met in high school, which was like three years ago, uh, (laughs) give or take 20. Uh, yeah. And, and it was weird because at that time, I don't think there really weren't a whole lot of people that were, that were playing music. Um, but we knew about you because you lived in Joe's neighborhood or my other friend, Joe. And, Joe was always like, there's this dude that plays fucking drums really loud. And I can hear him all the way on the other side of the neighborhood. And then it wasn't until we met in high school that I put the connection that that was actually you. And so Steve was the first drummer I ever jammed with because Jerry Shelley brought me over to your house. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Totally crazy. And so Steve was already like pro level drummer. And I'm like, I can play four Metallica chords. <laughs> I can play four Metallica songs on my BC Rich. <laughs> so, well, but, but yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, back up. Hold on. You were a lot better than that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. you know, and, and that was the thing is just like, it was my, personally, it was like my introduction to a lot of what you got me into. Because remember when I told you when we were, when we were at that age, I, I couldn't wrap my head even around the death metal stuff, the growly vocals. Yeah. I just, uh, what I was could, the, what was the uh, cookie monster? The music. cookie monster vocal. Cookie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or how my mom would describe it going, you know, yes. Right. So, so, uh, that I, it took me a while to, to like finally, you know, okay, get into that. But I just remember you getting me into all these, all yeah. these crazy bands, the aside, I remember. And I'm like, you know, it's just just sitting there listening to these guys. I'm like, 
how how is he doing that? You know, I was like, how do you do that and not go to hell? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do you play that long and that fast? I just didn't get it. You know, I couldn't wrap my head around. But it's really funny because you, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there, you know, is when we were, when we were hanging out and originally it was like, I play guitar, you play drums. Well, let's fucking jam. And then Steve is a natural fucking shredder on the guitar and we ended up jamming more guitar stuff. We did. We than, were jamming yeah. acoustic stuff. And you were uh, and yeah. you were singing. Yeah. I wasn't singing Crazy. at all. Yeah. So my my how time flies. And uh twenty-five something years later, Steve plays music for a living. <laughs> and we always knew that would happen though. I mean, the I mean, endless hours and hours and hours and hours of practicing from sunup to sundown. And uh, you know, your yeah. poor neighbors. They they well, who uh, were, happened to be pretty cool for most of them. I think I don't remember who's the the girl that we we did go to school. There was the two sisters, and remember the sister was trying to get into the police force or police academy. Yeah. It anyway, she called the cops on me finally when I had my drum set out in the garage on Arrowhead, and she finally like was like, you know, you you can't you can't, you can't be doing that. So I was like, are you? what i'm like playing in like midday you know it's like are you kidding me so i had to start remember i had to start barricading the door behind me where i had the drum set in the corner yeah, the with the fucking with the mattress propped the, up on the, the back of the, the door. mattresses <laughs> and the in the in the, yeah the big foam pieces or whatever i had to put on, i, I know, think it was like, uh one day i went to your room and it was lined with like egg carton shells oh like, man yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. like if you go to the the store and you get like the big piles of whatever it is like six dozen eggs and it was like a soundproof my room with a fucking mattress on the door and, and the here egg- and here and here you are coming even into my room you're like dude you don't have a bed and i'm like <laughs> i'm like i do have a I'm bed like, it's up against you- my door so i can sound <laughs> other like the window to the sound your windows That's remember the hide a bed you're That's like, awesome. where do you pull that out? And I'm like, no, I just pull out the mattress and put it on the floor. Yeah. And it was like, you know, that was like because I had the drums in the room. Right. And even when I didn't have the drums in the room, I had the stereo and I, I yeah. kept my room. Like, and that really was neat. that was Steve's practice. That was his jam was the stereo and the drum set. Oh, man. Doing fucking double bass with one kick drum. A floor tom tuned to the lowest possible tuning you could do. In the closet? In the closet. <laughs> and all you people out there are probably like that makes no fucking sense to me i have no idea but if you were there it would have been amazing <laughs> one time steve and i walked about 10 miles to go down to Kitsap music so he could buy a double bass pedal oh, oh that was the that was the camco chain driven pedals <laughs> right that charlie benate used used to use in anthrax and we 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 and then we went over to uh the burger place after that yeah top notch Fucking pile of, pile of grease give you the shit burgers. <laughs> we still we still pass that too when you and I go, that's top crotch fur burgers right there. Yeah, well now it's be, like a flower place. Now or it's something. flowers yeah. to go or So we like I mean that must have been like, you know, ten miles each way. So we probably um, walked twenty miles to go get you that fucking kick drum pedal dude, that day. We and then we went back everywhere. to your place and I was tired as a motherfucker. And the first thing Steve does is he hooks up this kick drum pedal. And blows my fucking eardrums out for like three hours straight. Didn't say a word to me by the time we were back there. It's just I hooked this thing up and just fucking go, 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 go. And I'm like, I'm just blown away. It was absolutely out of control. Yeah. Totally crazy. He was like, I'm going home now. (laughs) See ya. See you later. And then he just is playing. He's like, fuck you, get out. I don't care. (laughs) That's awesome. By the way, the first time I ever got fucked up was with this dude. So, uh. Steve calls me up completely fucked up <laughs> and I just started driving too, mind you. So totally responsible. So it was like, <laughs> and Steve used to call me and we'd talk on the phone for like nine hours and my parents were like, get off the fucking phone, you know? But so Steve calls me up and he's like, dude, I'm getting fucked up. And I'm like, what do you mean? So is my dad. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting fucked up with his dad. And I'm like, like drinking like alcohol. And he's like, yeah, dude, come over. Get your ass up here. Yeah. My dad's in the background. Geared, get your ass up here, you pussy. <laughs> yeah, his dad was calling me a pussy, and I wasn't even there. And, I, <laughs> and his dad's sitting there staring. Dude, my dad's like right yeah, here. My, yeah, like, my dad was always around when I was trying to pull something stupid, too. So he knew fucking something was up. And I'm like, so, uh, yeah, Steve and I are going to uh, go jam. And he's like, 
aren't you gonna get your I'm, guitar? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go jam, and I'm gonna stay the night. Yeah. yeah. See you, Dad. Well, don't what you about your tomorrow? guitar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> Steve, Steve's got a guitar. I'm gonna borrow. <laughs> oh, Steve has a guitar now. Oh yeah. And an amp. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> we plug it into a stereo. Yeah. Yeah. It was total bullshit, and he knew it. But anyway, so I left and we got up there. I got up there. What was it? It was vodka and seven up, I think. Oh, dude. And you had already finished like a fifth of fucking Smirnoff. Dude, that was really bad, man, because we were in the kitchen. It was, this is horrible. This is like two times we did this. Because <laughs> the second time, dude, you were like, I'm not going to drink that. And it was black velvet. Oh. We go in the kitchen. Otherwise known as and fucking I take sugar a whiskey. And I just, I, I think I took a big swig of it. And Mike was like, I'm not doing that, dude. What's wrong with you? I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, what is wrong with me? I'm out of my damn head is what's wrong with me. And I was just like, yeah. And then you you were showing up with the old English. And I go, dude, I don't know how you're doing it, man. I can't, oh. I, there's no way. I, can't I don't even remember where I got that. I don't know how I got that. Yeah, you had a 40, right? I had, yeah, I had some it 40s. Like 40. And then... We ended up just drinking the vodka and the Seven Up all night, and then the next day we were so hungover. I remember your mom cool. was making fun of us, boss, boss hog in the oh. uh, the toilet. Him oh, and I, dude, two, two, yeah. At one point, were we like, were tag team in the toilet. We were, yeah. I mean, it was, it was like, sexy. I it mean, was, it was it was, was saltine saltine crackers for <laughs> breakfast, man. All the way, man. Remember that? We I think I like, was. We woke up the next day. We weren't hungover. We were still drunk. <laughs> because, oh, dude. Yeah. And I wouldn't let you go. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I was good. like, I was freaked out. I was like, Mike, you, you can't, you can't go home right now. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm drive like, home. I'll be fine. I just got my license. You're like, no, dude, you don't understand. Like, if you walk into the house, your dad is gonna come up here and, and murder my dad. He's <laughs> going to be like, whole, whole We just man. called out your dad on the air, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Hey, dad, still love you. No matter. I love no matter what, right? Yeah. Thanks, exactly. bonus dad. Yeah. Thanks, dad, for getting <laughs> so, us drunk. Uh, yeah. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And then because of that incident, that's how that's why Steve is who he is today. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how's that for the tangent of tangents? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome. That's a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, uh, again with the post production. Yeah. So so we'll get to <laughs> and scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that that started the whole the whole metal phase, you know, oh, to what man. it was. But uh, you've always been, you Good know, times. you've always been in tune with different kinds of music. I remember jamming, you know, with your brother and me breaking your uh the karaoke the microphone clips uh because we got so drunk one time we were doing karaoke. Is that and, why? Yeah. Is that why Chris wanted to break our necks? Yeah. That, that whole yeah, time because, because I got drunk we... and knocked over that mic stand and oh. uh like. Uh, the microphone clip, bro- uh, it broke. I mean, they're just cheap pieces of plastic, but it was like, what happened to my fucking microphone clip? And then like, I'm on the yeah. floor like, <laughs> that, okay. Then that makes sense why he was so mad the the next day. Cause he was like, so fed up. He's like, you know, you guys, I had to run your guys' head and shove it in the toilet. <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. you guys are puking everywhere. You know, I was like, this is it. You know, this is not cool. And then and Anna was all pissed off. And, and then and then when you when the hammer thing came out with the with the whole ad and you had the ear hammer. Oh, my, right. my mom. My mom just brought that up just recently because I I mentioned you and I said, yeah, I'm going to Mike Mike Peacock's. And she's like, she's like, hammer. Dude, that's fucking hilarious. That's that's such the an absurd. The kid, remember the kid? The you were kid, like, yeah. Like hammer. It was like this old MC Hammer commercial, and it had this. It was like this kid that was. I don't remember what it, even what the commercial was for, but he just had these ears that stuck out like ten times worse than Will Smith ears. And the commercial, it was like hammer, <laughs> and I don't even remember what it was for, but that's funny. And I used to do the ears. We used to do like all these crazy, like stupid things when we were young. It was like we we'd get on one thing. And we just like stay on it right forever. It was just it just totally stuck with us. Awesome. And then whatever happened, we you know we didn't run into each other for years, and uh, oh, yeah, that was and crazy. then connected back again through uh, the book of faces. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, then you know I like catching up with what what's going on with Steve, and then you know uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the other stuff you know later on. But you know uh, we went and saw you know his other band Fever One Hundred Three. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. So, um, 
So getting back to the janitors. So yeah. you guys met, you're doing clinics with Chris Poland from Megadeth. You guys did some crazy shit with like Tony McAlpin. Um, yeah, Tony McAlpine. We played a show with him. What well, was a couple of weeks ago at El Corzon? I ran into Peter Dixon. By okay, the way. Yeah. awesome. And Joe, right? Yeah, uh, she still looks great. I was like, oh crazy my God. Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, that was cool. We we weren't thinking that was that was gonna happen. Um, Ethan had a lot to do with the uh, trying to get us that gig, and uh, yeah, we ended up playing it. We opened the show up. Um, I didn't stick around for Tony. I, I took off. Um, he wasn't going on until like 1130, 1145. And I saw Tony, uh, several years ago with Planet X with, you know, Virgil on drums and, uh, yeah, that was pretty insane. Um, it's not that I didn't really want to hang out and see him play, but that was just my own thing. I just, you get old, old, older now, you know, I'm not really a show goer. Yeah. Know, unless it's somebody I really, really, really want to go see. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just weird. It is kind of hard when you play a lot of shows and you want to be there and you want to support the other acts. But sometimes there comes a point where you're traveling a long time. You know, yeah. you're, the load ins are long, the load outs you got, you know, it's just, it's like, go, 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 go. Your entire day is yeah. just, just a pile of it's and everything is on such a tight schedule. By the time you're done with your day, I mean, mm -hmm. you're physically exhausted. Yeah. And even if you play a small show, sometimes like it's a two day recovery, sometimes, you know, just with all the craziness, you're not sleeping, you're not eating good. You're drinking oh, tons of alcohol. You're dehydrated, you know? Yeah, touring is crazy. I mean, you know, when you tour, that's how, that's pretty basically is you, what it is, and it really is. The playing is a very small piece of that. It's you're playing maybe you know, depending on your length, length of you know set time. If you're playing, you're lucky. You're playing forty five minutes or so, or thirty five minutes. Um, the time before that, you're just waiting around. You know, you're you're doing absolutely pretty much nothing. Right, you're just waiting and waiting, waiting. And obviously you're driving, you're taking turns driving through the night, through the day, you know, making it to the next venue, the next state. Um, so yeah, it, it, it does wear on you, you know, but you, uh, you know, you get used to it. Yeah. You know? So, uh, your guys' sound for the janitors, as I was telling you earlier, it's kind of like this crazy eclectic mix. It's like, uh, I think it's a uh, tool meets dream theater meets Satriani with like some crazy weird classical shit thrown in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, a really kind of cool, like syncopated drum beat, some really crazy time signatures. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's really hard to describe it really melodic. Um, so straight ahead kind of prog rock and then some really cool instrumentals. And, uh, that, that kind of sound I think is unique to this particular area. I mean, we don't see that kind of a style, a lot of in this um have you guys had pretty good response so far from crowds you play a lot of shows it's it's yeah you know talk about the whole style the style of how you know as far as how we write as a band we have a whole bunch of mismatch of different types of things coming in whether it's you know the progressive the funk side the you know as far as you know just a, a style of music so we have all these different things and the response, even though, you know, the problem that we've had with this band is that we haven't established uh, a ground here yet because we haven't played too many shows in Seattle or even outside of that. We've only played a handful of shows and I've, al I've always tried to tell Chris and Ethan, I go, it'd be really nice if we established, you know, even the time we've been together, we've established a real, you know, keep ourselves visible, so to speak. Right. Because most original music now, you almost have to do that. You almost have to, you know, you have to, you know, tour a ton to, uh, or you have to play a lot locally just to establish um, a reputation or, you know, some type of, uh, um, you know, um, 
some kind of a following, some kind of a consistent a following. Base. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And most bands, as you know now, you know most people, they're not going out much anymore to go see shows. It's it's getting to the point where it's like, especially with original music. So the the only the handful of shows we've done, um. Ha, ha, we haven't been able to establish a good f- following, but the shows we've done, we've gotten th- a, a pretty fairly good response. I think getting these like opening acts for Tony McAlpine and doing that Chris Poland, even though that wasn't really a particular thing about us, but even when Chris Poland himself sitting there going, well, why don't you guys just play your stuff and I'll chime in on it. And we're like, what? You know, we're like, wow, you know, that's pretty crazy. And he really dug what we did. Uh, as far as that goes so the amount of people that were there for that gives you those little small little like wow i want to check yeah let me check these guys out a little bit more yeah yeah kind of sets the bar moving yeah and you know we want to do a like a kind of a late spring of next year little kind of road thing we're talking about doing that i've been trying to get those guys chris and ethan to for us to kind of get together and talk about where where we want to do i mean i from me you know, playing uh, and establishing a lot of my uh, places I've toured and, you know, places I've gone. I've established some pretty good tight friendships with some people, uh, especially like people in Montana and Idaho. That's not too far off the beaten path. Like it's not in the East Coast or whatnot, you know. So we're talking about doing something really, really kind of fairly small starting off because uh, Chris uh, Wartank, and myself, we've done some, I've done more touring than both those guys have. Uh, but Chris has done, done a share of doing some stuff, but Ethan hasn't done too much of it. If hardly, hardly any of it at all. So we don't know. Kind of more of a studio guy. He's a studio guy. Um, Ethan's very gifted player, but he's also one of those cats where it's like, he just, he hasn't had the experience that most musicians at least playing out live had, I mean, he's played a bunch of live shows locally and has played, but he hasn't stepped out of that circle, you know? Right. So, well, uh, drag he, his ass out there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you've, so, you've played everywhere. You've played with a lot of bands. You've um, played with a lot of acts, a lot of major acts. You've, you've met a lot of cool people. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of, definitely a lot of, I would say legends, in at least the metal community that you've come across over the years. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I've been really fortunate in the years I have been playing to be able to have the opportunities I've had, you know, I mean, um, you know, from everything from going touring Europe and, you know, and then, you know, touring the States and, and, and then doing, doing a lot of stuff with like, you know, just solo artists too, you know, um, I've done a lot of, a lot of those things. And that, that's what I think, being a musician is really about now these days, especially in, in this uh, day and age, because not only that, you kind of have to be doing more than one thing to keep your head afloat. You know I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's this misconception out there that just because you're touring and just because you're doing a lot of stuff that you're making a solid income. And a lot of times you're paying to play. I mean, you're barely, if, if at all making even your travel expenses back. And I mean, the, the show's, you know, sometimes they, they pay you based off, you know, the crowd. Sometimes they pay you a flat fee based off just what kind of place it is. But in general, the average working musician, not making shit, you know. And uh, some people are in, like yourself, five, six, seven, twenty 20 bands, you know, <laughs> whatever the yeah, case may be. Um, that's why a lot of guys, I mean, even something that you're doing right now, you know, that still has a related to the artist field. Um, you kind of have to be doing whether you're making money at it or not but you're creating some type of, you know, or trying to at least, and whether this creates an income for you. Right. But a lot of musicians in general are starting their own studio. So they're, they're killing all the, all the big dinosaurs are getting, are, are shrinking and, and, and getting, yeah, it's, and, and, they're, up. and they're self-publishing and yeah, uh, the yeah. digital media is really huge. Um, and- yeah. So they're going into all these other fields, you know, whether it be recording on their own or learning how to record, and and then they're making an income doing that and then they're out on the road they're promoting whatever band they're in um they're getting into the business side of the field or you know they're an artist they're doing covers for records right uh, um 
you know, they're doing something that has something to relate it to music or it has nothing to do with real music. Uh, you know, my friend Derek Roddy, um, he's uh, uh, known in the drumming world. Um, he played for a lot of uh, death metal, early death metal acts. Um, he's one of the best guys, best drummers out there for that. His, you know, primary primarily his income doesn't really most of his income does not come come from doing drum clinics around the world and and being in the drumming community um he's actually a snake breeder so <laughs> he says uh yeah and he's in a he's florida guy so 90, that's for you baby my yeah. wife hates fucking snakes Uh-oh. 90 percent of his income she likes my snake oh there you go <laughs> whoa <laughs> bing bing folks i'll be um, here all week so love you so (laughs) so anyways uh he that's most of his income comes from that you know um not music it's not related i mean he had to jump the uh touring uh just like most musicians it's not just not just him but he had to make a decision it's like do i keep touring with um you know especially metal unfortunately you know, in most music in general, but if you think about metal, uh, it's never got uh, the notoriety that it that it that it that it that it's always correct that other genres might have. And, a and it's bit pretty more. crazy. It's pretty sad if you you know when you really think about it, because there's so many talented players that play that type of style of music, but they're very versatile too. It's funny though. Now, I mean, you can hear metal on the radio. You can hear metal on tv you know like you'll hear metal songs as the backdrop for commercials and i mean oh, yeah. metal used to be literally like you would have to trade tapes like you'd go you'd buy an import tape uh and then you would trade it with your friends for other tapes and it was a huge underground scene and good luck getting anybody to play it on a station you know and then uh finally now it's yeah. at the point where not only is metal popular but there's a million kinds of metal but there's very few of them that are, you know, what you what you'd call, say, financially successful. Yeah, T- tons of albums out there, which you know cost a lot of freaking money to make. Yeah. But you hit the nail on the head earlier, which is like, you know, a lot of those guys are smart now, and they're business people, and they're cutting out the middlemen. You know, they're they're recording their own stuff and maybe bringing it to a mastering studio, or maybe having somebody else come in to do the final mix. But sure. they're they're you know, buying, you know, CD duplicators where you can, you know, dupe a thousand CDs in the course of a couple hours. They're buying their own equipment yeah. and, and really almost entirely self-producing. Um, yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's more money up front to do it that way and you're, you're investing in it, but it's beats going to somebody else's studio and paying, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or $50,000 or, you know, it sounds like a janitor's record was pretty expensive to produce. Yeah. I mean, you're, but that's probably because it was such a technical record and it probably required a lot of tracks, a lot of takes, a lot of dubs and, and just kind of lots of steps involved tons in it. Tons of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was pretty involved, um, uh, at, you know, there've been many points in that recording process of that was, I was, I was looking at the watch all the time. Right. I was like, are you guys done? I'm like, they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, we only got this much to do. I was like, it got to the point where it's like, this is just ridiculous, man. It's like, this is how <laughs> long this is. There's no way this has taken this long of a band to record a record. And, you know, and I I just had to set, you know, that's why I not put necessarily those guys on a back burner, but it was like, okay, you guys need to do what you need to do. If you guys want to put all that money and all that investment of time to do that, go do that. But I'm gonna, you know, which they didn't stop me from doing any anything that I outside. You're just of gonna that. keep doing your thing until the need for you arises at that time, right? Yeah, I mean, and I've always been that way because if something of an opportunity strikes me, you know, or gets, you know, comes up, I'm gonna take it, you know, and I, I've always had that attitude about it wasn't nothing personal against something so if, if something happened to, to the point where you know a touring act or something like that or a band called me or an artist called me and i really liked what they do and i really love this love 
love the music um and and maybe maybe you know now my heart's changed in in some ways i i now it has to be it ha i have to feel something back sure. then i was willing to take anything and everything I just mean, to just keep to, your feet just in the to door. drop yeah, yeah just drop drop everything i'm doing and just go do that and see where that takes me and a lot of times that's what you kind of have to do it's a it's a big gamble you have to take being a musician it's like you know if i you know if i go do this i have to sacrifice to give up this right i have to put this by the wayside you know and kind of concentrate and focus on this and if this blossoms and gets bigger then you know that okay cool you made a good solid decision it's like if something happened to where anything you know big happened with anybody i'd always tell everybody you know it's like hey listen you know this is a good opportunity you should take it sure you know, so. so i think what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, we're going to check out one of the songs off your album and uh so we're going to take a quick pause hear some tunes and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to steve about the next phase of his career talking about being the singing man all right the we'll be right back See 
That track was called Singularity and is definitely one of my favorites off of that album. Believe me when I say every song on Ether Or is absolutely amazing. I'm not just saying that. If you think I'm full of shit, check it out for yourself. Uh, you're going to find out that I'm right. So props to the Janitors of Chaos for displaying amazing musicianship as well as an immense amount of creativity and originality in a day and age where that's just not something you hear about anymore. So uh, consider me a huge fan, and I will pimp your shit out left and right every chance I get. And hopefully I'll get to see you soon on a live setting. So um, coming up next, we're going to do a part two of my epic discussion with Steve Fournier. We're going to talk about some other current projects he has going on, namely his foreigner tribute band Fever 103, as well as listen to him tell the tale of how he got to go on stage with Loverboy, fill in for Mike Reno, save the day, become a huge rock star and a YouTube sensation, and still manage to stay humble. So in the meantime, I'm going to take you out with one more song off of uh, Ether Ore. This one's called Silly and Rail. All right, check it out, and we'll be back soon. 